I would like to spend a little time this evening on another main figure given to us in the book. I'm trying to stick to the big ones, and even those sometimes there's some real difficulty in, in uh, understanding what's being presented. Well, one of the really big ones is the subject of Babylon the Great. There's actually two whole chapters of the book of Revelation that talk about Babylon the Great, this evil woman. And I don't know how to do this exactly except to read some of these sections, so we just have to do a little reading here. I should have told you ahead of time, then, then maybe we wouldn't have had to read quite so much if you would have read ahead. But let's, let's turn to chapter 17, and we'll read chapter 17, and then part of chapter 18. This will give us some feel for what we're talking about when we're trying to deal with the subject of Babylon. And one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and spoke with me, saying, Come here, I shall show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth committed acts of immorality, and those who dwell on the earth were made drunk with the wine of her immorality. And he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness. And I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, full of blasphemous names, having seven heads and ten horns. Now that's the scarlet beast, having seven heads and ten horns. And the woman was clothed in purple and scarlet, and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a golden cup, a gold cup full of abominations and of the unclean things of her immorality. And upon her forehead a name was written, a mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the witnesses of Jesus. And when I saw her, I wondered greatly. And the angel said to me, Why do you wonder? I shall tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carries her, which has the seven heads and ten horns. And the beast, the beast that you saw was and is not and is about to come up out of the abyss and to go to destruction. And those who dwell on the earth will wonder whose names has not been written has not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world when they see the beast that he was and is not and will come. Here is the mind which has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. And they are seven kings. Five have fallen. One is, and the other has not yet come. And when he comes, he must remain a little while. And the beast, which was and is not, is himself also an eighth, and is one of the seven, and he goes to destruction. And the ten horns which you saw are ten kings who have not yet received a kingdom, but they received authority as kings with the beast for one hour.
these have one purpose and they gave these have one purpose and they gave their power and authority to the beast these will wage war against the lamb and the lamb will overcome them because he is lord of lords and king of kings and those who are with him are called the chosen and faithful and he said to me the waters which you saw where the harlot sits are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues and the ten horns which you saw and the beast these will hate the harlot and will make her desolate and naked and will eat her flesh and will burn her up with fire for God has put it in their hearts to execute his purpose by having a common purpose and by giving their kingdom to the beast until the words of God should be fulfilled and the woman whom you saw is the great city which reigns over the kings of the earth after these things i saw another angel coming down from heaven having great authority and the earth was illumined with his glory and he cried out with a mighty voice saying fallen fallen is babylon the great and she has become a dwelling place of demons and a prison of every unclean spirit and a prison of every unclean and hateful bird for all the nations have drunk of the wine of her passion of her immorality and the kings of the earth have committed acts of immorality with her and the merchants of the earth have become rich by the wealth of her sensuality and i heard another voice from heaven saying come out of her my people that you may not participate in her sins and that you may not receive her plagues for her sins have piled up as high as heaven and god has remembered her iniquities pay her back even as she is paid and give her back give back to her double according to her deeds in the cup which she has mixed mixed twice as much for her to the degree that she glorified herself and lived sensuously to that same degree give her torment and mourning for she says in her heart i sit as a queen and i am not a widow and will never see mourning for this reason in one day her plagues will come and pestilence and mourning and famine and she will be burned up with fire for the lord god who judge judges her is strong and then if you just skip over to verse 24 and in her was found the blood of prophets and of saints and of all who have been slain on the earth and then we won't read this part but there's a great rejoicing when this um when babylon is is judged hallelujah salvation and glory and power belong to our god because his judgments are true and righteous for he has judged the great harlot who is corrupting the earth with her immorality and he has avenged the blood of his bond servants on her so it's a matter of rejoicing when babylon is is judged so Babylon the Great who or what is John writing about well uh first of all I'll say this if you look this up on the internet you will find a multitude of answers everything from the Roman Catholic Church to the United States of America is 
considered by some people, some interpreters of the Bible, to be Babylon the Great. I actually think that there are really two possibilities, uh, two candidates for this dubious distinction. And uh, at least for sure in the mind of John and the uh, readers of the first century, the uh, the, uh, recipients of this letter, I think that they would have thought of either Jerusalem or Rome as possible uh, answers to uh, who this mystery Babylon is. What I hope to do here the rest of our time is to present the case that that Jerusalem is what John was writing about. Uh, next time, I want to make the case that it was Rome. And then let you determine which you think is correct. In either case... We have a great harlot which tempts and seduces and draws people away from God and is responsible for the death of the people of God. We know that. Uh, Whether it be Jerusalem or Rome, Jerusalem, I think, is a prime example of apostate civil religion. By that, I mean a people who had truth and turned away from it, compromised, and became one with uh, a a, uh, system that drew them more and more away from God and uh, actually ended up turning on them, uh, on on Jerusalem. Uh, Rome, on the other hand, uh, is a description, I think, of the, uh, a place that was centered on uh, the, the pleasures, the, the uh, seductive power of this world. And we'll look at that more next time, how either one of those would fit, both fit the description of Babylon the Great as, give, as it's given here, at least in some ways. Just to let you know, at least in my present understanding of the book, I think Jerusalem is the most likely way, the most scriptural way to interpret what John is writing here, and I'm going to try to make the case for that tonight. But I don't rule out the possibility that he was speaking about Rome, and by Rome I mean the whole uh, attitude that Rome represented. And... Just the fact that I, I'm bringing up these two to you kind of emphasizes the fact of the last, when I was going through those general principles, I, I, uh, the last one I put there is that we need to be humble, admit that there's much that we might not understand completely, and I'll have to say that in relationship to Babylon the Great. I'm not really absolutely uh, sure that Jerusalem's the the thing that he was pointing to, but I, I there's a very good case that can be made for that, and I'm going to try to make the case for it tonight. 
and you can decide whether you think it's sufficient or not, or, or next time if if Rome fits fits the bill better. Let's uh, let's try to examine how John could have been writing about apostate Israel or Jerusalem in general. Uh, First of all, one of the things that comes out a number of times in relationship to this, this evil woman is that she is responsible for the death of prophets and apostles and Christ and and Christ's followers. Uh, Revelation uh, 17, we read 17.6, I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the witnesses of Jesus. And when I saw her, I wondered greatly. Verse 18, no, uh, chapter 18, I mean 18 and verse 20, Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets, because God has pronounced judgment for you against her. And then verse 24, And in her was found the blood of the prophets and of the saints and of all who have been slain on the earth. So whoever this woman is is responsible for the death of many of God's people. Now, How does that fit Jerusalem? Well, Jerusalem killed the saints and prophets and apostles and Jesus. Matthew 23, 29 through 37. Let's just turn to that. Matthew 23, 29. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, Hypocrites, for you build the tombs of the prophets and adorn the monuments of the righteous, and say, If we had been living in the days of our fathers, we would not have been plant- partners with them in the shedding of blood of the prophets. Consequently, you bear witness against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of the guilt of your fathers. You serpents and brood of vipers, how shall you escape the sentence of hell? Therefore, Behold, I am sending you prophets and wise men and scribes. Some of them you will kill. He's talking about in the future. I'm, Jesus is saying, I'm sending prophets and wise men and scribes. Some of them you will kill and crucify. Some of them you will scourge in your synagogues and persecute from city to city. That upon you may fall the guilt of all the righteous blood shed on earth. See, there's the imagery of all the righteous blood. From the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. Truly I say to you, all these things shall come upon this generation. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her, how often I wanted to gather your children together the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wing, and you were not willing. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets. Look at Luke thirteen, thirty-three. Jesus speaking says, Nevertheless, I must journey on today and tomorrow and the next day, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish outside of Jerusalem. 
And then again, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stoned those who sent her. Again, that same phrase, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Then you have a bunch of references in the book of Acts related to the uh, crucifixion of Christ, the um, people of Jerusalem crying out for his crucifixion and being told by the the, uh, apostles that they were responsible for his death. Let's turn to Acts chapter 7, 51. You men who are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears are always resisting the Holy Spirit. You are doing just as your fathers did. Which one of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who were previously who previously announced the coming of the righteous one, whose betrayers and murderers you have now become. Just uh, a few verses related to how the scriptures present the fact that uh, Jerusalem, Israel in general, but Jerusalem in particular, was viewed as the place of the killing of the saints and prophets and apostles and Christ himself. So that's the first thing we should think about as this this Babylon. Babylon was was responsible for the death of the saints. The next little bit of evidence that I think could point to Jerusalem uh, as being what's being referred to here as, as Babylon would be uh, if you turn to Revelation 18, Revelation 18:10, standing at a distance because of the fear of her torment, saying, "Woe, woe, the great city, Babylon, the strong city, for in one hour your judgment has come." But notice that the that Babylon is called the great city, and then if you skip down to verse 16, you see this again: "Woe, woe, the great city." She who was clothed in fine linen and purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones, precious stones and pearls. So again, Babylon's called the great city. You see it in 21 again. And a strong angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, Thus will Babylon, the great city, be thrown down with violence. So Babylon is called the great city. Now, if you turn back to Revelation 11 and verse 8, we have to kind of cut into the midst of an account here, but it says, And their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city, which mystically is called Sodom and Egypt, where also their Lord was crucified. So where was Christ crucified? He was crucified in Jerusalem, and that is called the great city. In other words, there's a bunch of symbolism all coming together here, but the point is is that this great city is where the Lord was crucified. So that seems to point to Babylon referring to Jerusalem. But by far the most compelling uh, argument for this position is that there's really in the Bible there's really 
only one nation that is over and over called a harlot. And that's what Babylon is called, the mother of harlots. Babylon, the great mother of harlots. There's only one nation that fits that description, and that's the nation of Israel. It's repeated over and over again. Israel, and especially the, the center of the whole uh, religion there, Jerusalem, is presented as a prostitute that gives herself to all these pagan deities and uh, is uh, stigmatized and presented as a harlot. Let's just look at a few examples of this. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 2. Jeremiah chapter 2. And this is just a very, uh, very few uh, examples of what we're, what we could look at here. Jeremiah two twenty. For long ago I broke your yoke and tore off your bonds. In other words, I set you free as a nation. I'm the one that delivered you. But you said, I will not serve. For on every high hill and under every green tree you have laid down as a harlot. So speaking of the nation of Israel there. Skip over to chapter 3, verses 2 and 3. Lift up your eyes to see the bare heights and see where have you not been violated. By the roads you have have set for them like an Arab in the desert, and you have polluted the land with your harlotry and with your wickedness. Well, it goes on to talk about having a harlot's forehead there in verse verse 3. Let's turn to Hosea chapter, chapter 4, verse 11. Harlotry, wine and new wine take away the understanding. My people consult their wooden idol, and their diviner's wand informs them. For a spirit of harlotry has led them astray, and they have played the harlot, departing from their God. They offer sacrifices on the tops of the mountains and burn incense on hills under oak, poplar, and terabith because their shade is pleasant. Therefore, your daughters play the harlot. So, again, harlotry is uh, you know, a, a, something that is put forth as a as a characteristic of of Israel <clears throat> going after other gods, playing the harlot. You find it consistently throughout the Old Testament of Israel and Jerusalem presented the harlot as they fall away from their right relationship with God and they become uh, prostituted with other gods, other religions, and uh, seek intimacy with foreign gods instead of with the true and living God. Uh, Let's see. Chapter 9, still in Hosea. Chapter 9, verse 1. Do not rejoice, O Israel, with exaltation like the nations, for you have played the harlot, forsaking your God. You have loved harlot's earnings on every thrashing floor. Actually, in Jesus' day, he calls the whole 
Jewish race, a, an adulterous generation. But probably the chapter that brings it out the clearest <clears throat> of any in the Old Testament is Ezekiel chapter 16. So let's turn there. There really a, You have to read the whole chapter, but there are so many parallels between Ezekiel chapter 16 and Revelation 17 and 18. It's worth making a, a comparison, but we'll just hit a few of the, <clears throat> the uh, main verses here. Ezekiel 16, 1 and 2. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, make known to Jerusalem her abominations. And then he goes on and talks about how God had rescued them when they were when the uh, Hebrew nation was in its infancy. He he rescues it. He he gives it life, and he he uh, takes it to himself and uh, brings it in as a bride to himself. But we won't read all that. But just starting in verse 15. But you trusted in your beauty and played the harlot because of your fame, and you poured out your harlotries on every passerby who might be willing. And uh, we'll just read through, let's see, verse 23 here. And you took some of your clothes made for yourself and made for yourself high places of various colors and played the harlot on them, which should never have come about nor happened. You also took your beautiful jewelry. Now, again, you have to be thinking about all the imagery there in the book of Revelation. You took your beautiful jewelry made of my gold and of my silver, which I had given you, and made for yourself male images that you might play the harlot with them. Then you took your embroidered cloth and covered them and offered my oil and my incense before them. Also my bread, which I gave you, fine flour, I guess we'll go on. Fine flour, oil, honey, with which I fed you, you would offer before them for a soothing aroma. So it happened, declares the Lord. Moreover, you took your sons and your daughters, whom, I, whom you had borne to me, and you sacrificed them to idols to be devoured. Were your harlotries so small of a matter? You slaughtered your children and offered them up to idols by causing them to pass through the fire. And besides all your abominations and harlotries, you did not remember the days of your youth when you were naked and, bo- and, and bare, squirming in your blood. You, he said, I rescued you out of all that, and now you've done this. You've turned away from me. <clears throat> then it came about, after all your wickedness, woe, woe to you, declares the Lord. And he goes on and talks, to, uses some very graphic language here uh, we won't read through but just again woe woe you see that phrase in the book of revelation woe woe to you babylon verse 30 30 through 33 how languishing is your heart declares the lord god while while you do all these things the actions of a bold-faced harlot when you build your shrine at the beginning of every uh, street and make your high places on every square, in disdaining money, you were were not like a harlot. You adulterous wife, so there's, he uses the picture of adultery here too, who takes strangers instead of her husband. 
men give gifts to all harlots, but you gave your gifts to all your lovers to bribe them to come to you from every direction for your harlotries. Verse 38. Thus I shall judge you like a woman who commits adultery or sheds blood are judged. I shall bring on you the blood of wrath and jealousy. I shall also give you into the hands of your lovers, and they shall tear down your shrines, demolish your high places, strip you of your clothing, take away your jewels, and leave you naked and bare. They will incite a crowd against you, and they shall stone you and cut you to pieces with their swords, and they will burn your houses with fire and execute judgment on you in the sight of many women. Then I shall stop you from playing the harlot, and you shall also no longer pay your lovers. What, what you have here then is a, a picture in, in both Ezekiel and the book of Revelation of this harlot who uh, commits adultery with kings of the earth, who's dressed in splendor, that takes their beauty and use, prostitutes it, gold and precious jewels that are spoken about in, in relation to uh, Jerusalem here and then Babylon in the book of Revelation and also being intoxicated with the blood of the righteous. So those, I think, are some of the reasons why it makes sense to think that when John was writing here of Babylon, the great, the mother of harlots and the abominations of the earth, that he was thinking of apostate Israel, especially of Jerusalem. So what we're saying here in this understanding of the book of Revelation, Jerusalem, that is Babylon, plays the harlot with the beast. She's riding on this beast, which would be Rome. We, we talked about that last time. Nero and the Roman Empire in general. What you, what you have then is a picture of this prostitute, this great prostitute who aligns herself with Caesar in persecuting Christ and his people. The golden cup that's in her hand is filled with abominations, is filled with the blood of prophets and the saints and of all who have been killed upon the earth. That's 1824, in her was found the blood of the prophets and the saints and of all who have been slain on the earth. So that's, uh, I think, why it's possible and I think probable that John was thinking in terms and wanted his readers to think in terms of Babylon the Great representing Jerusalem. The Jewish leaders, you know, it says that she, she was riding, saw a woman sitting on the scarlet beast. Well, the beast we've already tried to identify last time as Nero in particular, but in general, that whole persecuting and evil empire that was around at that time, the Roman Empire. And what you have is the Jewish leaders who are responsible for, for killing the saints and, and Christ riding on the beast, which was Rome, 
they got Christ executed through the Roman rulers. They, you know, they the Jews couldn't execute anybody themselves; they had to do it by way of Rome. It, it was a a combined effort of Rome and and the Jewish apostate Judaism, bringing the death of Christ and the death of the early Christians. But the thing that's significant, I think, uh, about this view, and another thing that I think points in this direction of of him spe- of this being Jerusalem is that the beast then turns on the one that this woman that's riding on its back and it says that uh, in verse uh, 16 and the ten horns which you saw and the beast these will hate the harlot and will make her desolate and naked and will eat her flesh and will burn her with fire. And that's exactly what happened then in 70 A.D. Rome destroys Jerusalem and burns it with fire, destroys it. Well, those then are some thoughts, I guess, to contemplate in relationship to trying to understand what we're talking about or what uh, scriptures are talking about here in relationship to Babylon the Great. You know, in one sense you have Rome ruling over uh, Jerusalem at the time of Christ and yet the Jews were going along by and large, they were going along with that, it was a it was a convenient relationship, and that's always what happens with civil religion. Each can get a little help from the other, but underneath, there's no, you know, one one can help the other, but underneath there is a a real animosity because they have differing uh, attitudes. Caesar did rule over Jerusalem. And the religious authorities there in Jerusalem and the Jews were the ones who said Caesar's our king. So I hope this hasn't been too confusing. Basically what we're saying here is that what John, what John was doing, he was making a great contrast between apostate Jerusalem, who was a, pro, a prostitute bride that has... <coughs> given over to harlotry and the, and the new Jerusalem which is the perfected bride that God was bringing about through Christ so there's a contrast between apostate Jerusalem and the new Jerusalem the one is what the book of Revelation calls the synagogue of Satan those who claim to be Jews and are not the other is the true tabernacle of God God's true people. So that's, I think, the contrast that, that's being brought out here. So what, you know, if that has to do with what was being presented back then, what are we to take away from all this? Well, I think that one of the great lessons here for us, for all of church history, really, is we have to be very 
leery, very wary of this thing of civil religion, of uh, religion that uh, compromises and tries to join in with the world in order to advance its cause. That's something that we always have to be very careful about not doing and very leery of getting involved in. Religion that rides the beast will persecute the saints. Um, As one poet uh, put it, Zion in her anguish with Babylon must cope. We're always going to have to deal with Babylon. We're going to always have to deal with apostate religion that joins in with the world because there's an appeal that they have for one another. The harlotry is there, but in the end, uh, it's not going to be any good for true Christianity, God's true people. And also in the end, that religion that tries to do that, join in with the beast, will end up being destroyed by the beast. That's what happens here. They hate the harlot and make her desolate. To sum up what this book is all about, overall, we've got to get the big view again. You know, I've been trying to deal with some of the details. But the big view is this book is about the church at war. That's what the book's about and the victory that's there in Christ. But we have two great enemies to deal with that are presented, uh, that we've looked at so far, and that is the beast and Babylon. And those enemies will always be there, the beast and Babylon. And uh, we have to be very aware of that in our, our battle. Whatever whatever phase or place we are in church history, those two, those two things will still be realities that we have to deal with.